All right, Chinch. Whoa. What do you got? You're not by yourself there. What are you doing <laughs> in this case? No, I'm not by myself. And I'm going to introduce this guy. He doesn't like this stuff, but I'm doing it anyhow because, uh, you know, we're, we're good enough friends. I can do that. Okay. One, won a World Series title, three, three-time pennant winner, three-time manager of the year. Now get this one too right here. 22 years managing in the big leagues, 1,769 wins, which is 17th all time. The greatest manager I've ever played for, and there's been a ton of guys that have played for this guy that would say the exact same thing. In my opinion, the greatest manager in baseball history, Jim Leland. What's up, Skip? Hey, how you doing, brother? How you doing, my man? I'm doing all right. Thank you. (laughs) Mr. Leland. No problem. This is the first time we've had a guest at my house. Really? So this is great. We both live in Pittsburgh, and it's, you know, it's kind of been a... But a nice thing. Skip, what, what are you my, doing? Wait, hold on real quick, okay. John. One, one of my favorite things, Mr. Leland, when we have guests on and they see us setting up the shots, is watching them look at Sean and be like, I can Can you believe that Sean Casey's in has all this computer software and is doing his own television show right now? That's why it took an hour and a half to set it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, one, one, one thing I know, I, one thing I know I've messed with Skip is that this guy plays golf like seven days a week. He's gonna, he might be going to senior tour with Smoltz here soon, but uh, you know, he's all over the place. He's, you know, doing his thing, but. I know I'm, I'm, I'm messing with your golf game today, Skip, so I appreciate you, you know, joining us. But <laughs> no what have you been doing? What are you doing? What is Jim Leland doing, doing nowadays? Well, you're right. I play a little golf when I'm here in Pittsburgh. And then uh, I, try, I still work for the Tigers, so I, uh, I travel between Erie and Toledo, look at our double-A, triple-A club. Uh, Friday night I'll be in Detroit to speak on the field for uh, the celebration of Miguel Cabrera and his 500th home run. Uh, not to mention his 1,800 RBI <laughs> last night and uh, 3,000 hits soon to come. Jeez. So I'm going up for that. Miggy played for me for quite a while. Yeah. So uh, I stay pretty active, you know, yeah. and I do just a little bit of work for the commissioner, a little advising once in a while, but uh, not too much, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Um, I was. It was funny. I was I was thinking about you golfing. I remember a few years ago, we, we went golfing at Chartiers at your club, and uh, and First off, I didn't know you were as good in the app because I only seen you with your spikes on in the dugout. I didn't know you were good as good of an athlete as you were on the on the links. And I think you must hit fourteen fairways in a row. It was unbelievable. It was like boom. I'm like freaking two forty, two thirty, two fifty down the line, right? And that was the time when I didn't know if I was lefty or righty playing, right? And and I remember pulling out my lefty driver, and I can't remember the guy we were playing with. It's one of your, one of your really good one of your really good buddies. But I get up there on sixteen. And I'm like, Skip, I'm gonna hit it. I'm gonna hit one lefty. You're like, yeah, go ahead. Let's see what you got. Because I was playing righty, and I boom, I hit one. I roll my hands over. It goes behind me. And I remember you telling me, hey, hey, Dale, you, you believe this shit? This guy was a career three hundred hundred here in the big leagues. I mean, you're not gonna believe this. That guy, I talked to that guy this morning. I told, <laughs> I told him I was doing this. He said you actually whipped one on a tee box, and that's when he said to himself. This guy hit 300 in the big leagues <laughs> against a ball that's coming 90 miles an hour. He just whiffed a golf ball that is sitting completely still on a tee and whiffed it. How is that possible? And I said, well, nothing surprises me with the case. So, uh, but that, that is absolutely all true. He, we were just talking about it, laughing about it this morning. Oh, my God. It's oh so God. funny. It was so great. But I remember, I remember, what was it? Oh, it was a great time. I appreciate you having me out there. And wanted, wanted you will not be back. <laughs> you, I guarantee you, you will not be back. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I want to go back with you a little bit. I, I want to talk Miguel Cabrera. I want to talk all that stuff kind of down the road, but I want to go back to you a little bit. 
Um, grew up in Perrysburg, Ohio, which is right out uh, right outside Toledo. Right. Um, you know, looking into your life, your dad was a huge influence on on you. Can you just go back to that a little bit and and, and tell us <clears throat> your upbringing in Perrysburg and also your influence from your dad and and also getting yeah, you know, actually Perrysburg when I grew up was a village. Yeah, that's it? how small it was. It was about <laughs> fifty five hundred people, forty five wow. fifty five hundred people. And today it's a pretty big city. Twenty two thousand. Yeah, it's twenty two, twenty three thousand today. So it's totally different. It was it was one square mile when I grew up. My dad was a factory worker. I was uh, one of seven. And uh yeah, my dad was like a semi pro pitcher. Yeah. Uh, oh, was he? Pretty good, yeah. And uh so you know, he had a lot of influence on me, but I think the most influence he had was he was just uh, you know, his theory was always like you you, you work hard for a good day's pay. You know, that that's how you go about it. You know, you, you got to work for everything you get. There's no shortcuts. I actually used that when I managed, only I added championships. I used to always tell my teams <laughs> there's no shortcuts to championships. And I really kind of got that from my dad, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it was a great place to grow up. It's, it's much bigger now. I still have some brothers and sisters there. I lost a couple brothers and one sister, but uh, we still have family up there. And uh, go back, I'll go through there. Friday on my way to Detroit to stop, you know, and, and see my brothers and sisters. But uh, just a great place to, to grow up, you know, uh, northern Ohio and, uh, you know, big on football, basketball, baseball, like like everything. And I was kind of a, you know, I was kind of a, a big frog in a small pond. We didn't, you know, the competition wasn't great. I wasn't a very big guy. I was basically just a decent little athlete in a small town, to be right. honest with you. That's That's pretty much what it was. Um, how about like, like back then you were, you were drafted by the Tigers, right? And no draft when I signed. No draft. Okay. Yeah, so could you tell that, tell that story about that? Yeah. I, uh, I was actually, I got invited, uh, to play in a, in, in some games from, uh, kids from Detroit, Ohio and, and, uh, Michigan. And I want to say maybe Indiana up at, up in Detroit. And I didn't really realize it till later, but the, the Tigers ended up signing me. Like I said, there was no draft at the time. So I would just sign. Time for four hundred dollars a month, no bonus. Oh my God, nothing. And I realized later on, once I got to spring training, I got a little smarter when I could figure out what was going on. Basically, Sean, you know how they always need extra catchers in spring training. Oh yeah. they got to warm up pitchers. They basically just signed me to warm up pitchers in spring training, and I happened to make a team. Uh, one manager happened to like me and took me with took him with me, and uh, you know, fifty eight years later, I'm still wow. still in the game. Oh my God, that is. That really is unbelievable. Thinking about that, I want to stay on the dad theme for a second before we get back to your minor league career. Your son Pat and and Kelly, obviously your your, your kids, uh, you and Katie have raised two great kids. Obviously, I, I've gotten to know them a little bit, but I've especially gotten to know Pat. Um, and he's uh, a bench coach, right, in A ball right. with with the White Sox yeah, now. He's with the White Sox now. He played a while, just he wasn't good enough. Like but, but, but eighth round pick out of high school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he, he really he wasn't good enough at the end of the day. That's the way it boils down right. to. Had a lot of injuries, but, that, you know, that's no excuse a lot of people do. But he, he just wasn't going to be good enough to make it to the big leagues, which was fine. Uh, you know, he's kind of following in my footsteps as far as coaching and hopefully yeah. managing. He wants to manage. Uh, hopefully he'll be managing the minor leagues soon, and uh, and I hope it works out for him. He's He's actually a lot smarter than yeah, I, he's smart I was. Kid, yeah, yeah he's, he's a lot, he's, <laughs> I don't know about that. Steve. Yeah, he's much smarter than I am, but he's 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 not quite as instinctive as I was. He's a he's a deeper thinker than I was, and maybe not quite as quick on his feet as I was, but much much smarter. And he 
you know, he knows all the new stuff that's going on in baseball with the technology and right. all the stuff that's being put out there now. He understands all that, and I think he does a good job of combining that stuff. So yeah. uh, he's got a good feel for what's going on. Like, the, the Sean, if I can interrupt there, one sec, yeah. sorry. Staying on this topic, we like to ask this of all the guys, you know, former players who have kids that are playing Little League and in high school and whatever. And I wonder, as you, as, as Jim Leland, the manager, if, like, when your kids would come home and say, oh, my, my, my coach put my elbow up like this or whatever, and or your grandkids go out and, and they come back and their dance is all screwed up and they said, my coach taught me it this way. Does Jim Leland go to the coach or have you done that and say, hey, leave my kid alone. I know what I'm doing here. Or how do you? Yeah, not really. I, I, I really tried to always take the attitude that, you know, I could probably fix something in a situation like that with my son without offending the coach. Because I always took the attitude that any guy that was willing to give his time after working a hard day's work, probably got a family, and was willing to dedicate his time to go out there and be with the kids, even if he was telling them something that wasn't exactly right about some particular phase of baseball, I, I could overlook that. So I, I always respected those guys uh, because they gave their time, they cared about the kids, and they weren't supposed to be professional instructors. They were dads. They were dads that coached on the weekend or coached a 6 o'clock game on Tuesday night. So I think you have to keep everything in perspective. What were the biggest values that you passed on to Pat? Well, I, I told him, you know, that – Pat, anything you're going to have to that you do want to get, anything that's worth accomplishing, you're going you're going to have to work for it. And I go back to the shortcut thing all the time. I, I I really believe that, and it's a little bit different in today's game than it was for me because today there's so many coaches and, and personnel in the minor leagues. It wasn't that way when I came up. There was you know there weren't very many minor league managers, and there was maybe one one pitching coach who went all around the minor league. Now they have a pitching coach at every team. They have a hitting coach at every team. So it's going to be hard to move. But I think, and I think the best advice I've ever given him is, Pat, don't tell people what you know. Show people what you know. And that's the kind of uh, train of thought that I tried to give him. Just show people what you know. Don't tell them what you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love that. for for you, Skip, going back to your – you talked about, you know, managing the minor leagues and how it was different back then. Can you talk about that, your transition from a player? You said, you know, you, you know can you talk – we were talking the other day about Johnny Bench, and you said you ran across him in the minor leagues. Like I did. I played against Johnny Bench. I'm, I remember him. I'm sure he doesn't know. <laughs> but anyway, at, at any rate, it, it was great. And when I saw him, I knew that – you know, this is what they look like. I'm in big trouble. So, but I loved it. I loved playing in the minor leagues. And, and to, to fast forward a little bit, when I started managing the minor leagues, it was different. Yeah. The managers today are are pretty much uh, scripted what they have to do. And when I managed in the minor leagues, and, and I think that's one of baseball's faults right now, you have to let your managers manage. It's okay to have all this information and all this knowledge and everything, and it's okay for them to dissect it and look at it and everything. But you have to let your managers run the pitching staff, make the moves in the game. You cannot be uh, getting, you know, putting the manager in a spot where, well, we, we told you this is what you should do. This is the percentage. You know, everything is measured today in today's game. I don't think that's good. When I managed, and I'll give you a good example, I loved it in the minor leagues because you knew the farm director in the organization was going to tell you, these got to be your five starting pitchers. These are the guys you got to start. 
these are the, what we feel are the prospects. They got to play every day. Okay. So make sure you're pitching those guys. Make sure the prospects are playing every day. But anything else you want to do with your team, you manage your team mm-hmm. however you want to manage it. And for instance, when I would bring a prospect out, like for early work, I would always bring one of the non prospects out because I wanted him to get extra batting practice. I wanted him to feel part of the team. And that's how you mold that team together, you know, things like that. So, it, 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 you know, I always handled by pitching, mm. you know, uh, even in the minor leagues. I mean, and, and nowadays they say, well, they can only throw so many pitches, this and that. Well, you know, managers aren't fools. You got to trust your manager. You give them the responsibility. You give me a good prospect. I'm not going to burn him out by throwing too many pitches or anything. You, you have to believe in your managers, but you don't need a pitching coach telling you every second, well, he can only throw, you know, now they have some rules of 20 pitches or 25, 30 pitches, anything. They're done for the game. Yeah. I mean, so it's changed. And I'm not arguing right and wrong right. or indifferent. I, I, that's that's not my business. But it, it's just totally different than what I manage as to when hopefully Pat's going to get into managing. Yeah. You know, you are, talk you, about, are you more of a – sorry. Are you more of like with the minor league systems, are you more into uh, having the system in place where, you know, we, we take 0-1, we do this or whatever, like how the A's and the Giants have done things over the last few years? Are you more – give me the player and I'll teach him how to be a big leaguer uh, as far as like your philosophies when you're in a GM meeting. Well, I think the organizations always have a philosophy and they try to, they emphasize that all the time, but basically organizations have the same philosophy. They talk about somebody that knows something more than somebody else. You go to spring train, every team in baseball does cut off and relays. They do rundowns, they do pickoffs, they do bunt plays. And they say, and one of my pet peeves is when a new manager takes over a team and says, boy, we're really going to work on fundamentals. <laughs> for God's sakes, the manager for the last 20 years worked on fundamentals. <laughs> they did everything the same in spring training. If you go to every spring training, it's almost a clone. I'm not saying that some of them aren't a little better than others and maybe the way the personalities of the managers and staff handle things. But basically, the fundamentals of baseball have never changed. You hit it, you pitch it, you catch it, you throw it. I mean, it, it's so it, that that's always been a pet peeve of mine when they say like somebody else has got something that somebody else doesn't have. <laughs> you know, it's like all the analytics stuff today. Well, it, the, the team with the best players have the best analytics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it works. What do you think like about? Because it's funny because we, we've talked about this before. I know when I was playing, I I retired two thousand eight. You know, you were two thousand thirteen was your last year, so that's not that far long ago. We got this. I mean, I, I couldn't. I got tons of stats. I got tons of film on guys. You know, I could go watch any left hander I wanted out of the pen that I thought I was going to face, or I could watch any closer that was going to come. I could watch the starters' last five starts on the plane, all that stuff. <clears throat> but I do know, as a player, when I got in the batter's box, man, it was tough enough to see the ball and hit it. You know, it was tough enough in the field, you know, to get ready to position myself to get ready to make a play. So, you know, I I don't know. Like, I know, especially working at MLB Network, sometimes we get so into the analytics, the BABIP and the WAR and the OPS Plus and all these different, you know, uh, wins wins created plus, all these stuff. You know, we get into all those numbers. Um, What what place, for you, Skip, what place are those numbers as a manager? And what place is it, man, I got to go with a gut instinct? Well, I think, number one, uh, we had basically uh, as much information as you could possibly have when I managed. Now, in fairness to everybody, there is more information today. By way of the computer, you get stuff faster. You get more information. Uh, there's there's much more information out there today than there was when I managed, yet we had everything that there possibly was when I managed. So, uh, you know, I think what you have to do is you have to siphon out that information, 
you have to uh, get your coaching staff and, and yourself as a manager to relay that information to the players, the information that you think is going to affect us winning or losing this game, or whether it's going to affect us developing a player, or whether it's going to affect us as we go out to scout a free agent player like a high school kid. You get all that information and you see what's usable, and there is stuff that is usable. I'm, 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 I'm old, but I'm not old school. So there is stuff that's usable, and I think you put all that stuff together, and at the end of the day, then you put that into your own personality as a manager. When I was a manager, I, a young manager in, in the minor leagues, I listened to all the veteran managers that I was around in the minor leagues. When they'd come in the clubhouse after spring training games, they'd be talking strategy, talking situation, and I always listened. And I never said anything. I was, I was a baby. I was a young manager. So, but what I did was when I listened, I listened to what they said, and I took the stuff that I liked, and I put it in my back pocket, and I eventually put it into my own personality. And I took the stuff that I didn't like, and I just discarded it because I really didn't believe in it. So, uh, you know, it was, it was very interesting how my career came about that way. And even today, I'm all for information i just think there's some of the stuff that's just reading material yeah it's not really uh beneficial as far as helping you win a game yeah. i mean you can sit there and read a book before the game but it, 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 it some of the stuff is is really good and some of it's probably overdone yeah you talked about like some of the managers and the guys that you listen to in the minor leagues like who were some of the guys that like you look back that really influenced the way jim Leland yeah well les moss les yeah. moss uh, who managed the tigers at one point stubby overmeyer who pitched for the tigers wayne blackburn uh, Al Federoff was the best manager I ever had. He was the first manager I ever had. He passed recently. But, uh, you know, it was just those guys. And then George Kissel from the Cardinals. Mm. I used to go during the instructional league over to his house in St. Pete, and he would talk. And I was managing for the Tiger instructional league team. He was with the Cardinals. But he'd invite me over. We got along good. He liked me. I liked him. And I listened to him. And I would go over there and have sessions with him at night talking about different strategy and, and, and things of that nature. So, you know, you, you try to pick as many brains as you can, and then you, you, like I said, you take the information that you think is is valuable, and, but at the end of the day, you have to put that in your own personality. Yeah, eighteen and, years you eighteen years you were in the minors as um, as a player and a and a manager, right? Yes. Nineteen eighty one, Tony Larusa comes comes looking for you and says, "Hey, we'd like you to join the White Sox uh, organization." I think you were you his bench coach, third base, third base coach, yeah. which is a big deal. I mean, the third base coach, if anybody's got a lot of heat on him after a game, the third base coach is a lot well, of responsibility. Well, to me, when the game starts, the third base coach is the most important coach you got. Right. Some people disagree with that, but they think the pitching coach, I think the third base coach is the most important coach you got because he's he can win you a lot of games, he can steal you some runs, he can cost you some games. But anyway, to, to go, go back to that real quick, I managed against Tony La Russa in AAA in 1979. Okay. He was a young manager. He had managed, I think, a half a year in Knoxville or something. Mm -hmm. He came to AAA, and we played against each other. And, uh, and and during that season, he went up and got the big league White Sox job. Well, I stayed in Evansville, Indiana, where I was managing against Tony. That was the Tigers AAA club. Right. And I was there 79, 80, and 81. And uh, in 81, Bobby Winkles, who was his third base coach, was going to go to the front office like as a farm director. So he called and asked me if I would be interested in being a third base coach. And uh, that's how that all came about. I joined I joined Tony then in 82, 83, 84, and 85 mm. uh, prior to Mr. going to the Pirates. Mr. Leland, um, speaking of coaching and the way you guys came up, you and uh, Tony, like you mentioned, do you have any advice for coaches 
anybody who wants to be a coach or a manager now, because it, it seems so much different because they are trying to hire people who have more analytic uh, sense or who will take the lineup card. You hear that a lot. But how would you advise somebody who's not going to make it in the big leagues or a former player now as to how to start making a journey towards becoming a manager like you did? Well, I, I think I think the most important thing is, once again, is don't try to uh, tell everybody what you know, show them. And don't make it about you. Uh, you have to put your ego aside when you become a coach. It's all about the players, and it's all about trying to help players, whether they be amateur players or professional players, and and get used to when things work out pretty good, the players get the credit, which is the way it should be, and when they don't, the coach is going to get the blame, which is the way I guess it should be. But that's that's the way it is, right, wrong, or indifferent. But don't get hung up in your own ego. It's about It's about the player, and it's not about you. Because sometimes guys are former players, pretty big names, uh, you know, pretty successful major league players. And, you know, they, when people see them, they're really more noticeable than the players. And you want to make sure that the players are at the forefront and you're in the background. Well, <laughs> you know, it's funny, it's funny, it's funny looking back, like, um, at, at your, at your time with, the White Sox, and because I know your relationship with Tony Lusa, I, I, I obviously saw that in the 2006 World Series, talking about the players and you know the managers coming together. What did Tony teach you, uh, you know, as that third base coach when you were with him in 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 Chicago? That you know maybe helped you as a manager when you went on to Pittsburgh. Well, to be honest with you, I coached her a lot more than Tony. In fact, yeah. I had managed a lot more than Tony had. Right. So what what Tony really helped me with was. Uh, adjusting and handling big league players because I had only handled minor league players. So he really helped me with handling the, uh, the big league players. And the other thing he did, which was so advantageous to me, and I appreciate it forever, was after every game, he made it available for me to come in his office and listen to his press conference, <clears throat> see the kind of questions that were asked. You know, maybe you had a tough situation that night, how that would be handled. Uh, maybe putting you on a spot about a play or something. So I got to see that firsthand, and that was really, really advantageous to me, uh, you know, because uh, you you meet with the press twice a day every day for a long time, six, seven months basically, six months for sure. So, uh, you know, just just those little things that he, he showed me and, and, and helped me with were – and during the game, he was fearless. I mean, he he, he managed nine innings, and I, I put that in one of our rings, play nine innings, uh, mm. nine full innings, because it, regardless of what the score was, he managed nine innings all the time. He was going to manage. He was going to push no matter what. And I thought that was really good, and I used to talk to my players about, hey, we've got to play nine full innings here, you know, every night, nine full innings. And there was just so many things that, that he's helped me with. He's, you know, obviously, his record speaks for itself. He's second all time and wins, so – uh, you know, I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot from a lot of people, and uh, I'm very grateful for it. You know, and I've met a lot of great people over the years and, and managed against a lot of great managers and, you know, fortunate enough to manage a lot of great players. So, you know, it's it's uh, it, it's worked out okay for me. It's funny because, you know, playing for you, I, one thing I always respected was I always felt like when the media would talk to you after the game, like you always took a lot of heat for us. You know, I always felt like you never – you know, you never really put it back on the players. You took a lot – probably you could have done a, that a lot more. You, you took a lot of heat. Was that kind of your philosophy? Well, I think the one thing you want to do is, you, 
you know, as a manager, you want to try at all costs never to embarrass a player in the paper. Right. You know, you just you, you just don't want to do that. I mean, and there's times when I would get a little frustrated, depressed, that because they say there was a routine fly ball hit the right field, and the right fielder dropped it, and they'd come in after the game, and somebody might say, "Well, do you think he should have caught that ball?" I said, "Well, were you watching the game? <laughs> you know he should have caught that ball." Every writer in here knows he should have caught that ball. I know he should have caught that ball. But why should I say it? You saw it. Right, right. They right. had a fly ball. It should have been caught. You know, but why should I have to be quoted on it? I, that's not necessary, you know. So, uh, but the media was, was good for me. I, they were good with me. I enjoyed it. I mean, we had our moments. Like, when you're in the heat of battle, you you, you know, there's a lot at stake. Yeah. I mean, the major leagues, big leagues about winning. Yeah. You know, that's that's what it is. And that's, uh, and that's on the manager. So, uh, there's times when you get a little testy as a manager and a little frustrated, and I, I think so. But, um, you know, I just, I don't know. So it, it, it's just a tough job in the sense that I, I'll give you a good example. I, I released Kurt Gibson. Mm-hmm. I was also Kurt Gibson's first manager. Yes. So it was very interesting. So, and, I, and, I, and I'm just bringing this up to make a point. Somebody said to me, was it hard to release Kurt Gibson? And I said, not really. And the reason I say that is I told him, I said, it was harder to release an 18-year-old kid in the minor leagues than it was to release Kurt Gibson, who had this great career, MVP, World Series, made a lot of money, great guy, great player. So you couldn't feel sorry for him. You could feel sorry for an 18-year-old kid that you had to look in the eye and say, hey, you're never going to get a chance. You're, you're, you're just not good enough. You're not going to make it. And you sent that kid home right. with tears in his eyes. That's a little bit more difficult than sitting there talking to somebody, you know, that's made millions of yeah. dollars and, been, and earned it and been a great star. And so it, it's, a real, it's, it's a real touchy thing there, you know, as far as managing that. Managing is much more than just the game. Yeah. And the game is the real fun part. The other stuff is really the hard work. The game's the fun part. But the other stuff, the hard work is trying to understand a player that's mm. struggling, somebody that maybe the sickness in their family, somebody that, you know, is having some kind of issues, whatever it may be, and then dealing with the media twice a day and dealing with your general manager and everything. Managing is a big job. It doesn't get the credit it deserves. Right. In today's game, I think a lot of people think you can just put anybody down there to manage, you know, give them a piece of paper with information on it, put them down. It doesn't work that way. Right, right. Well, one thing I, one thing I always admired about you, Skip, was that, you know, it was funny. It almost felt like you were like, uh, you know, it was like cheers during batting practice. You know, I, I watch you work the room. It was like almost like your party. Like you come over to me, hey, Case, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. Boom. Yeah, there you go. You're on Matt Yordonia's and right field. Bam, you're off to Craig Monroe and left. You know, you kind of worked the room and almost did it every day, which was, you know, and, and, and I know being in the clubhouse with 25 guys, like there's so many different personalities in that room. Like right. how were you able to? How were you able to work a room like you did in a clubhouse? Well, I, like I think I, I did a lot of my work in batting practice. And like you said, I'd go around and talk to players out in batting practice. And not, not necessarily long conversations. But just, hey, everything all right? Family all right? How you doing? Hey, I know you're struggling a little bit. You're going to get it going. You know, yeah. we're going to get you out here, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it may be. Talking about whatever. Tell a joke. Do anything to, you know, to, to have some type of relationship with the players, you know. And in a, in a lot of cases, I've done it. But in a lot of cases, I tried to avoid at all costs. And I have done it, but I, I tried to avoid it all costs bringing a player in to my office uh, for disciplinary reasons and shutting the door because when you do that, you embarrass him in front of his peers a little bit. 
and you the media knows something's going on, so they're saying, oh, so-and-so's in there. Right. So what I did in most cases, I used that time during batting practice. For instance, I wasn't happy with the way you were performing or the way you were hustling or going about your business. Right. I might go out to first base and I'd say, hey, Case, you know, you got to pick it up here. I'm not satisfied. You're not running the ball out. You're not playing hard. Hey, I'm not going to put up with that. And then I might tell you a joke or something, and people see us out there laughing. They don't know anything going on. Right. But I got my message across, and nobody else knows that I got my message across. So you eliminate ever trying to embarrass a player. Now, you know, I've had some arguments and balls right. with a player, obviously, but for the most part, I always try to take that time during batting practice to get my right. message across to an individual. Yeah, yeah I, I follow up on that real quick, yeah. John. Uh, I, remember, I was thinking of something like this. Uh, Bobby Bowden was – coaching in a championship game back in the day, Florida State, and uh, Sebastian Janikowski was his kicker at the time, and he missed curfew the night before the game, which means he wasn't technically allowed to play in the game. And Bobby Bowden came out and he goes, ah, it stinks, but that's my kicker. He's going to play. If he was the 45th man on a roster, I'd probably suspend him. How, <laughs> so my follow-up to that is how do you deal with, you know, you have Miguel Cabrera in there and you have a 20-year-old kid do you not treat them the same, or do you treat everybody the same, or do you have to I'll tell deal you, with personality individually? I'll tell you exactly how I handled that, and uh, <clears throat> I I always felt that I treated every human being the same, and they were just as important than the other guy. When you had a star player, I always told them, you don't get any special treatment that nobody else gets. They're all going to get treated the same. However, what you do get, you get a bigger paycheck every two weeks because you've earned it. You've earned that paycheck. You've earned more money. Your salary is much bigger, and you deserve that. And that's respect you get because you earned that yourself. But as far as being treated as, as a, a different as a person or doing special favors for you that I wouldn't do for somebody else, I would tell them I'm not going to do that. I'm, I, I will not do that. I'm going to treat the 25th guy the same way I treat the number one player on the team. but your perk is because you've earned it every two weeks. When you pick up that check, yours is a little nicer. <laughs> well, great. I know, I know, as a, I know, as a player, you know, when there's certain guys on teams and managers would let maybe a star player get away with something that other guys wouldn't. I know there was there was a lot. I mean, I know for guys there was a disrespect factor. Like, man, are you kidding me? Like, he's treating that guy different than than this guy, and and he's starting to lose the clubhouse. So I must admit, I, I did appreciate. You, I know, you know, I know. We, we, we always, people always go back to the Bonds incident, or like I know sometimes with Pudge Rodriguez, you had to say a few things or different guys, superstars. But I did appreciate that about you as a player to say like, no man, this guy's got 25 guys backs, and the superstar players know that hey, they're part of the team, and at the end of the day, we all kind of have to. I, I love, I, I love the players. I love the yeah. players. I love the star players. I love the 25th player on the team. And it it didn't it wasn't that you were being disrespectful or anything. It was just that when you think about that, you didn't look for trouble with the superstar. But as a manager, you cannot run from that trouble. Mm. If you have it, you cannot run from it. And I and I can tell you this: if you deal, if you do have an issue with a superstar and you handle it, and he handles it, and you handle it properly, mm. you might be mad at each other for a day. But because you're honest with each other, it's over after a day. Mm. If if one somebody's lying to each other, it's it's a lifetime disaster. But I think when you think about this, I always felt like if I have an issue with a superstar, I got to have to handle it because I'm going to gain the respect of 24 other yes. players. Mm. 
if I handle it, I'm going to show the other 24 players that, hey, they're just as important, and he's not going to get any special privileges, and he, I can't let him walk all over me. I can't. I just can't do it. You never wanted those issues. Right. But let's face it, when you're with somebody for six months a year, <laughs> you know, on the planes and the club buses and stuff, you, you know, things happen. You're going to happen. And, you know, and I love the players. I understand. I think one of the things that helped me as a manager was the fact that I was such a bad player because I understood when guys popped up with a man on third and, and, right. and one out or struck out. You know, I understood that because I, I did that myself. Right. I, I know I realized how hard the game was to play. So I love star players. I love star players, and I would treat the star players great. But I, I just, you just can't treat them as human beings any better than you do the 25th player on a team. That just won't work because you're going to lose the respect of 24, 25 guys, and maybe, and really the guy, if you cater to him and kowtow to him, he really doesn't respect you anyway. Exactly. So I think you just deal with what comes up. And you deal with it to the best of your ability. Yeah. And sometimes you're not always right. I mean, the thing with Bonds was a little mistake on my part. It was a little mistake on his yeah. part. And I love Barry Bonds. We're very close friends. I just went to San Francisco not long ago to speak for when they retired his number. So I, I love Barry Bonds. Believe yeah. me. And I love Pudge Rodriguez. And, and yeah, we had a couple of issues where we had to talk things out a little bit. Yeah. But that's that's part of managing. Yeah. That's what you have to do as a manager. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's it's good to be nervous, but it's bad to be scared. Yeah, how how though, <laughs> it's so true. How how do how those skip for you? Like, obviously, not having the that big league career, right? And you get to the you get to that position where you got to confront a Barry Bonds. Like, where does that come from? Does that come from your your dad? Does that come from your upbringing? Like, yeah, where think, is that like? I think know. it comes from your upbringing. I think when when you know, and I've made mistakes, but Barry wasn't wrong about all that yeah. thing that happened that day, and I wasn't either. We were both kind of a little bit of a misunderstanding, to be honest with you. That you know, but there'd been some stuff leading up to it, right. and, and for whatever. But yeah, I think that you know, I really think like my dad was one of sixteen children. Right. My dad had 15 brothers and sisters. Wow. Wow. I had a lot of aunts and uncles. <laughs> and this sounds corny, it sounds crazy, but it's true. And I had six brothers and sisters, plus my mom and dad. So, And there was a family of 10 lived right next to us. I really believe this helped me. I, as, as a young person, I watched. One aunt had a different personality than the other aunt. One uncle had a different personality than the other one. One of my brothers had a different personality than the other. So when I got into pro ball, that helped me. And sometimes mm -hmm. we have people from different cultures. Yeah. You have to understand that. You know, I went, I went, uh, it used to be in days when, when some of the kids from Latin America would come over, you didn't think much of it. Okay, right. they're here. You know, I got to deal with it. They don't really understand. And you didn't think much of it, you know, and you probably weren't really as aware of it as you should have been. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But when I went to Venezuela to manage one year, and all of a sudden the shoe was on the other foot, and everybody's, talking Venezuela, and I, and I don't know, you know, up from down. Right. Up to, man, the shoe's on the other foot. It gave me a whole new perspective, and I always tried to go out of my way to, to make somebody that came from a different culture comfortable, you know, to let them know that you cared about them because sometimes you just took it for granted. Oh, you know, he's, he's going to talk to the Latin players. He's not going to talk to me. I'm not going to talk to him. He, he's just going to play, whatever it may be. And it was a whole new perspective when I yeah. went over there, you know, and I, I really think that helped me in my career to learn 
than different players, even yeah. the ones, like I said, that came from different cultures and things of that nature. It helped me understand people much better, and I think it all started because of the big family my dad had and all the different aunts and uncles and all the different personalities because, you know, what makes you tick might not work for another right. player. Yep. I mean, you have to have general rules for your ball club, but you may have to go about it different to get the results out of you as opposed to Jay Bell or, right. or whoever it may be. Uh, Placido Polanco, you might have to talk to him different than I have to talk to you to get the same results, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I always thought that was interesting, and I, I loved it because so many players are different. Some yeah. players come in, Placido Polanco came in every day, never said a word, sat down in his locker, did the same routine every day. He's one of my favorite players I've ever managed. Never a problem. Just you know, Other guys come in more boisterous, you know, telling jokes, whatever, yelling a little bit, whatever, whatever it may be. And I always thought that was very interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Well, like I said, there's so many different personalities. And I, I thought that was fascinating, too, with the Latino players that would come in. I'm like, wow, these, some of these guys, you know, because I, I, <clears throat> I think about it. When we, went over, we went over to Japan right. in 2008 to open the season. Right. I remember being over there. I was like, am I on Mars? Like, I, right. I cannot communicate with anybody. Right. And I thought about that right. as a Latino player when you come over as a young kid yeah. and you don't know the language. Right. Listen. Minor league baseball, pro baseball is hard enough. Big right. league baseball is hard enough. Let alone you don't know the language. Right. Like, but to have a manager that understands that, I and mean, I think baseball's done a good job now, where they they brought like the kids over from Dominica, whatever, and they have classes for them and they teach them English yeah. and things. So it's come so far, which yeah. is great. It's great for everybody because, yeah. as you know, there's so many great players come from over there. So it's actually worked out great for everybody. Yeah. I want to go right now to you know to your first you know managing job. With the Pittsburgh Pirates, and, and you said a little bit ago, hey, um, you know, big league baseball is about winning, right? When you came in '86 to the Pirates, and they weren't really good. I mean, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I was when when you had come here, I, I was uh, I was I was 12 at the time, yeah. and you know, you were coming in, and, and the team wasn't that good at the time. Um, can you just tell us about what your thought process uh, was of taking that job? Well, and where where was it going to go? It's, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> they had lost 100 games in '85, yeah. and in '86 they hired me as a manager. And Chuck Tanner, who's one of my closest friends, yes. passed away, went to take a job with the Atlanta Braves. But I get the Pittsburgh Pirate managing job, and uh, you know, here I am, this minor leaguer. Nobody knows me. I think they put in the paper, Jim Who, who? <laughs> yeah. and. Which, you know, my father-in-law eventually got me a license plate that said, Jim, who I, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I always tell the story. I was, I was so pumped up. But I, I went into spring training, and I had some veteran players, too, you know. And, and, uh, and I told the coaches, we're not going to try to push ourselves on these guys, not tell them what we know. We're going to show them what we know. Go about our business. Solid, strict, fundamental baseball, you know, stuff that makes sense. That's what we're going to do. And I was so pumped up. And, uh you know, because we were going to open up. I go to my spring training. We have our spring training. And uh, I know we're not very good. But uh, we're going to open up against the Mets and Doc Gooden. Oh, in, God. In Pittsburgh. This is going to be my first thing. <laughs> oh, so I always, tell this, I always tell this little story about opening day. I'm so pumped up. And I think we're playing. We're playing. It's a night game. And I think. So I always tell everybody how we were really bad. And people knew we were bad. So. I go down to the store in the morning, and I'm going down to get a quart of milk, and I got two pirate tickets on my dashboard. And when I come out with my milk, somebody had smashed my window, windshield, and left two more tickets. 
that's how bad we were. Now that's a, obviously that's a joke, but I mean that's how it was. I mean it was something else. I mean like you know the season started. Would you, sir? Would you like an autograph? No thanks. <laughs> you know the old stuff about what time's the game start? What time can you get here? <laughs> And then the PA announcer would say, "Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. Here's your lineup." For us. <laughs> I mean, this is—I mean, it's you know, but it all goes. But it all worked out. We the Mets beat up on us, '86. That's the year they won they the won World all, Series. Yeah. They beat us 17 out of 18. Wow. Yes. I go to the World Series and just as a manager to observe. I'm in a hotel in Boston, and one of the writers from Boston says to me, "Jim, are the Mets that good?" I said, "No." And he said, how can you say that? I said, if they were that good, they'd have swept us. <laughs> and so anyway, but it was funny. Baby Johnson would sit there, and I'm over there working my tail off just to try to win a game. But, you know, pacing up and down. Trying to, man, we're holding them for six, seven innings. You know, we got a chance, you know. And Davey's sitting over there like this. And then Strawberry did a three-run homer. And we, you know. I mean, Howard Johnson. But we caught him. We caught him. We got better. And, yeah. and in opening day in 1990, we opened up against the New York Mets in New York. Mm. And we beat them 12-3. Wow. And we went on to win the division that year. And yeah. that was our first division title that we clinched in St. Louis. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so we turned it around on them. But they were awful good. And I have a, the utmost respect for them. They were a great team. And I... They just had a 30-30 thing on there. Oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah I just watched so, the first episode. Uh, they were crazy, too. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were good. They were good. They were good. They, they were, were baseball good. players, and I, I had the utmost respect for them. But it, it was a lot of fun, yeah. and that's how my career started. And uh, I think one my first game, not me, but we won our first game that I made against the Cubs, I think, three or four games into the yeah. season or something. But, you know, and it, it, it worked out fine. Well, can we go back to those teams? Because those are the teams I kind of grew up on. Like, obviously, I was growing up here in Upper St. Clair, big Pirate fan going down. You know, always like going to Buck Night because, you know, you get a dollar hot dog, yeah. dollar ticket, sit in the upper deck, a dollar Coke. Yeah. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, but can you talk about the guys that you managed? Because there were some great man, great players here in Pittsburgh with, with Bonds, who came in in 87, right. I believe. Bobby Bonilla, Van Slyke, Jeff King used to drive in 100 every year. Right. Jay Bell was a gold glove shortstop. Right. Doug Drabeck won the Cy Young Award. John That's Smiley, yeah. Zane Smith, Randy Tomlin, Spanky Lavalier was winning gold gloves. Right. Andy Van Slyke in center field. I mean, you, got, you had some great players here. Can you go back to those teams yeah, and just talk about the Buccos a well, little bit? Well, Sid Swift really did a good job as general manager. Every yeah. trade he made, he'd bring back a pitcher. No matter what kind of pitcher it was. And then we traded Tony Pena and got Andy Van Slyke, Mike Lavalier, and a guy named Mike Dunn. Yeah. And, you know, uh, this was uh, this was funny because uh, when I got the job, the day they took me down to my press conference, <laughs> uh, the gentleman that took me down said to me when I got in the car, he said, the first thing you have to do is make Tony Pena captain. And I looked at him and I said, the first thing we have to do is trade Tony Payne. <laughs> and he said, he about drove off the road. And he said, you can't do that. He's our most popular player. And I said, you lost 100 games and do 736,000 people. You ain't got no popular player. <laughs> now, in reality, so I want to make sure this all gets in here. Yeah. In reality, to clarify everything, it was a compliment to Tony Pena because he was the one guy that had value to bring, bring back. something back. Right. And we needed to kind of start all over again. 
So it was actually a compliment to Tony Pena. It wasn't a criticism of Tony <clears throat> Pena. It was a compliment because he was the one guy that we had we knew that could bring something back. Right. And a year later, on April 1st, we traded Tony Pena during spring training to the St. Louis Cardinals uh, for Vance Lyke, Lavalier, and, and Mike Dunn. And uh, you're right. Those teams, uh, they were good. We did, we fell a little bit short. We 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 just didn't quite get over the hump. Uh, we had a yes. couple of chances. We, uh, uh, you know, we won the three straight division titles. We yes. had great battles with the Braves. Uh, of course, everybody we were knows loaded. I mean, they the, were loaded. But everybody knows about the heartbreak game. But yeah. uh, I thought the year before '91, we actually had a better team, and we. That's when um, that was game seven. Avery and right? Avery and Smoltz. Yeah. yeah, we came home with a one-game advantage, and Avery and Smoltz. Uh, Avery pitched the game of his life. Well, Avery, Avery, was, Avery might have been faster, yeah. and he, he got hurt. He oh, had he was, unbelievable he was stuff. Good. And then Smoltz was who was the best big game pitcher I've ever seen yet yeah. to this day. So, uh, yeah, but it was fun. Good players, really good players, good guys. Uh, yeah. Exciting time in Pittsburgh, and turned it around. And then, of course, everybody knows that we just couldn't retain those guys because right. of the. You know, I, I give you this. This is hard to believe. In 1986, my first year as pirate manager, our entire payroll for the entire team was $10 million. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my no goodness. Way. $10 million bucks? In That'll get you a utility plan. Now. Yeah, that's on, league minimum. <laughs> and later on, it went to – it was going to get up to about $34, $35 million, and that's when we got to the stages where we couldn't keep Barry. Right. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't keep some guys. Yeah. But those were great days. I I, yeah. I I love managing in Pittsburgh, and I still live here today. I've been here ever since I came here yeah. uh, in nineteen, the winter of nineteen eighty five. So uh, it's been great. It's a you know it's a, it's just a wonderful, wonderful city. And uh, of course, the Pirates are struggling yet, and uh, hopefully that'll that's going to turn yeah. around at some point. But uh, just a great great place. We got to go back because you know you managed, in my opinion, the greatest player in Major League Baseball history. I mean, this guy was as special of a player as I've ever seen. Can you talk about managing Barry Bonds? First off, when he came up, when he was number seven, right, and, I, you know, didn't get out to, you know, the, the, the Hall of Fame start. We all knew he was going to be good. But also, like, who he became in the pirate uniform before he went to San Francisco. Well, he was just – you could see from day one that you had a star on your hands. It was just a – you know, it was a rising star. It was just a matter of when it was going to happen. Right. Uh, I let him off for a lot. I wanted him to see a lot of – some people say, well, why did you lead him off? Well, I wanted him to see a lot of pitches. I wanted to get, get him up there more early in his career, knowing that later on I was going to move him down to the three-hole or four-hole, right. which is what I did eventually. But I wanted him to get some exposure to that major league pitching all the time, you know. And – uh you know, I mean, he was so graceful. Uh, the one thing that he was a little short was his throwing arm was not the best. But Bill Verdon, a former great pirate, oh yeah, love Bill Verdon, love Bill Verdon. Right. Well, he worked. I was he, scared of Bill Verdon. He worked. Throws <laughs> uh, everybody out. But anyways, he worked with uh, Barry, and Barry became the best defensive left fielder I ever saw. Now, and I'm not looking to argue with anybody. Right. I'm just, I'm just making a point. He's, he was the best left fielder I ever saw. He could do everything. And, uh, you know, he the first year or so, he had a t- little tough time driving in runs from uh, third base with less than two outs. As you know, it takes time yeah, to, for yeah. guys to learn how to knock in runs. But this was just a star in the making, and you knew it was going to be a big star. It wasn't just going to be a star player. This was going to be a superstar. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because of economics and everything, I think he – we might have offered him $25 million. I think he ended up going to San Francisco at the time for $42 million. $17 million yeah. difference is a lot, a lot of money, you know. Right. So, uh, I, you know, I knew we weren't going to be able to keep him. But 
You know, I love managing him. I mean, yeah. he he played hard. He played hurt. He 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 was just a great great player. Yeah. Yeah. Could be a little brash at times to other people. To be right. honest with you, some people had a little tough time with him, but really a good heart and uh, just uh, he and Van Slyke and Benia were a great outfield. Oh. You know, I mean, uh, an Andy in center and Bobby in right for a lot, and then Bobby played third some, and and Barry. Mm-hmm. It was just uh, you know, it, it was a treat to manage those guys. But Bonds was, uh, you know, you can arguably make a case that he might have been the greatest player of all time. A lot of people are going to disagree with that, but right. he's definitely in the top five. But yeah. if you look at his numbers, people want to talk about his numbers all the time. I mean, you can make a case. Yeah, no, you can make a big time case. I mean, he was as special as I've ever seen. And I, and I, and I tell you what, you know, being over at first base, people would always say, Hey, uh, it was anyone, was it ever scary over there? I go, yeah. When Richard really gets on first and Bonds is coming up, it's really scary. And I remember one time, Steve, I come off the base. He hit, you know, he's in there, throw him inside here. Wham! Hits me a rocket. I just literally almost, I almost, I didn't have kids at the time. I was like, oh, my God, he almost took off my cup. <laughs> I literally caught the ball. I didn't see it. To this day, I didn't see it. That's how hard he would hit the ball, you know? Just never off balance. No. Always, always on time. Well, he was one of the few guys that could take that pitch right in here inside and hit it out of the ballpark and keep it fair. Yeah. Most guys would hook that ball foul. Right. Barry would bring the hands in and hit it yeah. and then keep it fair. You know, he used to, obviously he choked up, he choked even up. even in Pittsburgh. First why why did he do that? He just better back control, he felt like, and better quickness for yeah. him, you know. But, uh, yeah, that's so much for not being able to choke up to hit home runs. Right. I mean, yeah. he, he, <laughs> hit a, he hit a few, and he choked up from the first pitch on from the first day I saw him play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so your time in Pittsburgh after 92, uh, Bonds is gone, Bonilla is gone, Van Slyke stays around for a couple of years, but you end up moving on um, to the to the Marlins in 1997 with Dombrowski, which I thought was great. That was kind of your – can you talk about that, going to Florida in 97 and, yeah. the, your, and the start of your relationship with Dave Dombrowski? Yeah, I was, I was talking – well, Dave Dombrowski and I – Dave Dombrowski and I started our relationship. He was working for the Chicago White Sox way back when oh, I was a coach. Okay. So that's where we kind of okay. met and, 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 and became friends. Well, then, uh, you know, but in, in 97, I talked to two or three teams about uh, – I, uh, I was interviewed by three or four teams about taking a job with another organization, which uh, I was offered a couple jobs. I'm not boasting, but I'm just saying I was offered a couple other main jobs. But I, I decided to go with the Marlins because – uh, they were National League, and I'd been in the National League. I knew it better. I had managed without the DH. Now that's just so you know. So I, I decided uh, I had known Wayne Heisinger, the owner, and of course I knew uh, Dave Dombrowski and uh, Carl Barger, who was had been at Pittsburgh, and and I I um, I, I decided to go to the Marlins, and it turned out to be a good decision because we won the World Series, and a lot of people were upset with me in Pittsburgh when I left, but. I could see what was coming. I mean, right. I was going to be next. After a while, I mean, you know that the manager's <laughs> going to go. I mean, they, and that happened. I mean, they hired Gene. He did a great job yeah. here. But, of course, it had to be somebody's fault. Let him go. They hired Cam Bonifay. So what, what, if it wasn't the manager, then it had to be the general manager. They, you know, it just yeah. was, Lloyd it was, Yeah, it was a tough cycle, you know. And you, you knew that was going to happen. And uh, I actually had planned on staying in Pittsburgh. And I told him I was going to stay. But when Kevin McClatchy came in, he said that, uh, they were going to maybe go out and get some midline free agents, but we couldn't spend anything big when I knew that. But then they decided that they were going to just start all over again. And that's when I made the decision to leave, which right. to a lot of people were, could have signed me for it. And I understand it, but 
Um, you know, you got to remember something. When your peers are telling you, Jim, you're going to have no chance to win there. Right. You know, you're a competitor. You're going to have no chance to win there. And, you know, you're, you're going to get tired of that, you know. And it, it wasn't anybody's fault. It just happened. That was just the, kind of the law of the land at the time. And so I, I – you know, I, I didn't want to leave Pittsburgh. I was living at my own house six right. months out of the year <laughs> yeah. and going on a road trip and coming right back to my own home. I didn't have to get a house somewhere else or anything. So I, I didn't want to leave Pittsburgh. That's right. the last thing I wanted to do. But it was it turned out to be the best thing for my career. Yeah. yeah. Well, did you know, uh, sorry, well, real quick. Did you know going in to going to Florida what that was? Like, hey, we're all going to get together for a year and go for it? or Or was that something that progressed? As no, I, I I thought I thought we were going to be good for a long time. David signed a bunch of guys to really good contracts, longer term yeah. contracts. Uh, Wayne Heisinga, uh owned the team and was was not going to sell the team. And uh, this, this is a really a great story, uh, tough story, but a great story. Uh, so I could sense that some, something wasn't quite right. And uh, at the end, and and uh, Wayne called me one day and he said jim i need to meet you when you come off the road i'll be out at the actually out at the airport there's an officer we talk he said i decided to sell the team he said i just don't really think this is a good business and you know i had bought a home down there and so i said wayne i understand you know and and he felt bad because he said originally he wasn't going to sell the team and it wasn't like he went back on his word he just just i said hey I, i'm not going to do this i can't do it so he asked me if that was an inconvenience or something for me. I said, well, I, I, you know, I got a house in Pittsburgh. I got a house here. He asked me what I paid for the house in Florida. I told him what I paid for. He said, I'll have a check for that for you Monday morning. You live in the house as long as you manage the Marlins. Wow. And you, pay, you don't pay anything but your phone bill. Wow. So it really took care of me. You wow. know? And then I stayed a year uh, after that. And of course, that was a disaster. They got rid of everybody. And we just, it was too bad because Dave had those guys signed a good contract. Now, would we have won another World Series? I don't know, but right. we would have been competitive for a long yeah. time. We had Alex Fernandez, we had Benia, we had oh all those God. guys. Sheffield. <laughs> yeah, we had all those Moise guys. Salou, Moise Salou, Sheffield, Benia. I mean, right, you guys were loaded. Brown, Evo. Lighter. Kevin Brown, Al yeah. Lighter. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Rob Nen. Yeah. Rob Nen. I mean, yeah, we I went were, back and looked at that roster. Edgar Renneria, yeah. Young. Yeah. We were going to be good for a long time. Yeah. Whether we'd have won or not, who knows. But yeah. we'd have been we'd have been right in there with the Braves, for sure. Yeah. Every year, we'd have been battling with the Braves, for sure. Uh, would we have won? I, I don't know that. But anyways, that so, but we did win a world championship, yeah. and we beat. Uh, and I think this is probably one of the big mysteries to me why nobody ever talks about this. We end up beating the Cleveland Indians in the '97 World Series, and they had a powerhouse lineup, the greatest teams. Their starting pitching was good. It wasn't yeah. great, but it was good. Uh, okay, so, but what amazes me is to. When we won in 97, just to have the right to play in the World Series, we had to beat Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox. Three guys who went in the Hall of Fame within the last five years, I think. Right. We had to beat those three just to get there. So I thought that was almost as good an accomplishment as winning the World Series. Right. You know, I mean, the notoriety is not as much and everything, but when you think, man, you're looking there and say, we got a chance to go to the World Series, but we got to get through Smoltz, Glavin, yeah. and Dramatics. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's not an easy day. Did you feel a little redemption? Because looking back at the Braves teams, ninety-one and two, man, you couldn't get past them. Right. Now here we are, ninety-seven. We beat them. You beat them. We beat them in the. We beat them four to two in the championship wow. series, four games to two. 
And I love Bobby Cox, great friend of mine, and had all the respect in the world for that team. Uh, you know, great team, great organization. John Sherholz, and of course Chipper Jones was a yeah. great player there. And you know, and but I, I love to compete against them. You know, yeah. I, I was tired of the Braves. <laughs> you know? they, they broke my heart a couple of times. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it was nice to a little payback. I wish we could have done it in Pittsburgh, yeah. but uh, we eventually did do it. But like I said, just to just to get to the World Series, we had to beat Smoltz, Gladwin, and Maddox just yeah. to get there. Yeah, yeah, I know. Is that crazy? Yeah. I was I was torn during that World Series because I came up with the '97 innings. I, I just got did. caught up in September, right. and they obviously wasn't good enough to make the roster. So they shipped. I was in the Arizona Fall League, but it was funny because I was such a big fan of yours, Skip. Like you obviously didn't know me then, but I was such a Pirate fan sure. growing up that I was watching the Indians play. But I was thinking, man, I'd love to see Leland. Well, win a, win a, I'll win. tell you what I want you to do because all this stuff in today's game, they got this exit velocity. And in the top of the 11th inning, I want to say the top of the 11th inning in the World Series Game 7, Jim Tomey hit a rocket to Craig Council for a double play. One hopper to Craig Council. And I would love to find out what that exit velocity was because it might be the hardest hit ball I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it was. How did Council feel? I have no idea. It was totally self-defense, I think. But it was a one hop right there. I mean, it was just, it was a rocket. Oh, my God. And I would have to guess that the exit velocity had to be 110 miles an hour. It had to be. And uh, we turned to double play, and, of course, we won it next inning. Can you take us back to that game seven, especially at the end? Because – what was it? Two nothing going in. Two one. Two, was it two nothing two going, nothing going into the one. ninth? It was two to one going in. Two to one going in the ninth. You had Jose Mesa coming in to close out the game. Right. It was one of the best closers in the game. Yeah. Can you just take us through uh, what you were thinking as a manager? Well, you know, I mean, obviously uh, Jared Wright had pitched a great game for yeah. that young kid. We didn't know much about, and he was a fireballer and pitched good. He really, you know, pitched a great ball game. Yeah. And Benilla hit a changeup out of the ballpark in the seventh inning to make it two to one. So now we're going to the ninth with Mesa, and you know, you you know, this is it. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, this this is it, and we were fortunate enough, you know, to get a couple of hits in that inning, and we got the we got a, a sacrifice fly by Craig Council. Council. The funny part about it is, I think we had guys maybe on first and third when that happened, and we tied it up, but uh, Council hit a he 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 hit a ball. No, somebody else hit a ball uh, to, to right field to Manny. And he didn't move, and and if he had moved back to a normal position or something, the next ball that we hit would have been down. We probably would have won the game. Right. But he stayed there and it caught and went right to him. You know, oh. I figured exactly right. how it worked out. But anyway, we tie the game up, and uh, it, it's 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 good to talk about this World Series because it's always good to get it off my chest. <laughs> I always felt that that World Series never got the credit that it deserved, mm-hmm. and I contend my contention is. The home team wins game seven, three to two. Right. Extra innings. Okay. Three to two. So pretty good pitching. Heck yeah. Not a sloppy game for no, sure. Right. Okay. Although Tony Fernandez made an error. God rest his soul. But right. anyways, uh, so the home team wins three to two. It's It starts on Sunday. It ends on Monday. It ended after midnight. You know, there was so many things. It was the first time that the home team came back trailing in the ninth inning to win a World Series at home. Wow. And I always said, had that game been between the Yankees and the Mets or the Yankees and the Dodgers, it would have gone down as one of the greatest game sevens of all time. And and it's really never gotten the credit because it was the Indians and the Marlins. I believe that in my heart. And I'm not upset about it. I'm just making a point. But can you imagine had that game been the Mets and the Yankees? Uh, 
Yeah. Game seven, extra innings, three two, or the Yankees and the Dodgers. Greatest, I mean, one of the greatest games yeah. ever. One of the greatest seventh games in the history of the game. I yeah. think it. I think they had it ranked like seventh or eighth or something. Right. But I, I think it would have. I mean, they had the Yankee game against Arizona rated ahead of it. You know, it right. surprised me. You know, right. when uh, Arizona beat the Yankees. But uh, it's neither here nor there. But that was one of the greatest seventh games in the history of the World yeah. Series. It really was. And it just wasn't between the right two markets. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> two, two low markets, exactly. Ah. On, on, on that team, you had so much star power. I mean, obviously, obviously, um, Gary Sheffield, who I know you love, oh, was with you in Detroit. Great player. Can you talk yeah. about Sheff a little bit? Because I played with him. I, I, on the show a few weeks ago, we had Adam Dunn, and we, we, we brought up the uh, – we ran in Atlanta in 2003, and Sheff, you know, Sheff's up there doing his thing. Wham! He hits a rocket. To Dunner and left, it skips off the ground, hits Dunner in the shoulder, and it ricochets, you know, wherever it ricocheted. And I'm thinking to myself, it looked like Adam Dunn was playing in for the bunt, right. and and a little guy, he could hit the ball so hard. And right. I look back at his numbers, 500 career homers, you know, all, all the things that he did, more strikeouts Hall than walks. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Can you talk about Gary Sheffield and, and what it was like managing I, him? I can sum it up best, I think, by saying this. And I don't I don't think he's really ever gotten the credit that he deserves. I don't know whether it's because with, he played with too, so many teams or what. But I will tell you this. I was managing the Pirates when Gary Sheffield was in San Diego. And I, and I managed it for, against Gary Sheffield for a long time. And I was fortunate enough to be his manager. I can tell you this. There was a stretch of, I don't know exactly the amount of years, but it was several years. There was a stretch that, without question, Gary Sheffield was the most feared right-hand hitter in baseball. Wow. I don't care what anybody tells me. There was a stretch. I'm not sure exactly how long it was, how many years. There was a stretch that he was the most feared right-hand hitter in baseball. And then I was fortunate enough to be his manager a little later on in his career right. in Detroit, you know, but uh, really one of the best right-hand hitters of all time, all time. without question. I, great arm, could run. When he was a young guy, oh, could right. run, had a great arm. Right. And, and, and didn't strike out. No. With for that violent for that violent of a swing. He hit 500 home runs, but you didn't really think of him as a home yeah. run hitter because right. he didn't hit the big long high ones. He hit rockets, line drives that went out of the ballpark. So a lot of times, I think people didn't didn't really think about him as as a home run hitter. Right. You know, but uh, you know he's hit 500 plus. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty impressive. Yeah. Also, when you can go back, follow up on that real quick. Okay, one John. second. Okay. One yeah. second. Yeah. When you go back to Game Seven. Um, and you know, uh, I, I know they had a team meeting before the game and, and chef talked a little bit. And one of the things he mentioned was at the end, I don't think you were in there for this, but he had said something like, Hey, let's go win this for the guys in the room. Let's go win this for the fans. And let's win this for the guy that's been in the minor leagues 18 <laughs> years. Let's finally get a shot to play in, for a world championship. Yeah. Like, can you, you know, what did that mean to you to hear that from well, a guy like Gary Sheffield? I, I didn't really know about it. I heard about it afterwards, you know, and obviously it was very touching. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, I had talked to the team and I had my speech. And I remember I told the team one time, uh, I was trying to tell them how important it was to win. But I said, you know, people just don't remember who lost. I said, I said, uh, who won game seven of the World Series last year? And somebody said, oh, I think it was so-and-so. And I said, no, there wasn't a game seven last year. There was only six games last year. So it just goes to show you that people forget about stuff unless you're the winner. Right, you right. Know? So that was kind of my theme, you know. Yeah. And, and and then Chef, I did mention this from what I understand to the players afterwards, which was very flattering, very touching. Yeah. And, uh, you know, greatly appreciated. But, you know, it, uh, 
like I said, I love the players. Yeah. I mean, I had my moments with players. I'm sure there's some don't like you, there's some do like you, but I, I love the players because I, I knew how hard it was to play, and I loved competition. And yeah. I, I was a competitor in my own way, even though I wasn't good enough to be a player. In your own way as a manager, you're, it was an honor for me to manage against the St. Louis Cardinals, New York Mets, New right. York Yankees. That was an honor. Yeah. I mean, I took that as a special honor to go into Yankee Stadium in the playoffs. We beat them three times oh, in yeah. the playoffs in the postseason. Yep. That's a thrill for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, people can make light of it. They can say, oh, big deal. Well, it was a big deal to me. Yeah. You know, here's this guy that never got out of double A and everything, and all of a sudden I'm managing the bright lights at Yankee Stadium or Comerica <laughs> Park or Three River Stadium. Right. I'm saying here I am, you know, this guy, yeah. that, you know, I mean, that was an honor. Yeah. Simple, yeah. You, know? you got one, Chase? Oh. Yeah, no, what I was going to say kind of plays off what you were saying. And everybody I've ever worked with who had been former baseball players or managers or whatever, you ask him about Gary Sheffield because he did play for so many different teams. And in the media, he was always looked at, oh, you don't want Sheffield on your team. He's a cancer. But everybody I ever talked to that played with him oh. says he was one of the better leaders one of the guys you would always want on your roster, would you? You guys, Dude, one, you one, guys my, one of my favorite teammates. I got to play with Chef in 2007 in Detroit. One of my favorite teammates. One of the quietest guys on the team. I felt like, you mm-hmm. know, like kind of did his business. He showed up, was in the cages every day, you know, working hard. And sure. I don't know, for me, one of my favorite well, teammates. He was, he was great on the team. I, I found out a lot of times over my years in baseball, and I'm not talking about Sheffield. I'm talking in general. I found out during my career – that some guys would say, you know, you'd be talking about trade for a guy. And somebody, some of the baseball people would say, oh, you don't want that guy. Yeah, bad for the team, blah, 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 blah. You got that guy, and he was one of the best players, <laughs> best teammates I ever had. <laughs> and then on the other side of that coin, they say, oh, man, get that guy. Get that guy, man. He's really good. He's really good. Got him. He was one of the worst. <laughs> so it's it's misleading. Right, and, right, right. You know, one thing, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. One thing that always bothered me, I had a couple of coaches one time come up to me and they said, hey, this guy over here, the other team, he really wants to play for you. He really wants to come here bad. He really wants to be over here. I said, okay. And then uh, the next day I'd talk to my coach and I'd say, you tell that guy, that told you that, that he will never play for me. <laughs> because if he's doing that to his manager, mm-hmm. he's going to do the same thing to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so go tell him that thank you, but no, no thank, thank you. you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so after you leave Florida, Skip, I guess I, I, there's so many, you know, unbelievable players that you've, that you've managed. And, and one of the guys, when you went to Colorado, one of the guys just went into Cooperstown a couple of weeks ago and Larry Walker. And I remember we had a conversation one day and we were talking and I said, man, Skip, it's amazing. Some of the guys you've managed, Gary Sheffield, Barry Bonds, Miguel Cabrera, you know, we go down the list of guys. And I said, man, who's, who's the most talented player you've ever, you've ever managed. And what did you say? I said that Barry Bonds was the best player I ever managed, but Larry Walker was the best five tool player I ever managed. He could do everything. He could, you know, Barry control quite as good, right. you know, but, but Barry was better, obviously, but Walker could throw, he could run, he could hit, he could hit with power. He was a great defender. He was a great base runner. Probably he and Andy Van Slyke, the two best I ever saw. This guy was a unbelievable talent. We also had Vinny Castillo oh, yeah. and Dante Bichette. Bichette. 
and his son's playing really good now. Yeah. I think Dante helps yeah. out a little yeah. bit. So, yeah. you know, yeah, it was, a, you know, I, I just did a bad job there. I couldn't manage there. I, I was a pitcher's manager, and I you, you just couldn't run a pitching staff there in those right. days. It might be a little bit different now. I think they've changed some things. But, you know, I just did a bad job. I felt terrible about it, didn't stay there, and went home and really basically went to work for the Cardinals. Yeah, but you can't, you can't, change, you can't do a bad job in the elevation like that. I mean, come on. Like, I mean, it's like – you, you put the right pitch out there, and the guy's breaking ball well, doesn't break the it same way. It was sad because, believe me, I tried, and I, I and I gave everything I had. It was just it, it ate at me because your starting pitcher could pitch a good game and give up seven runs. Right. Right. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's true. crazy. Yeah, and uh, so was Daryl Kyle there when you were there? Yes, Daryl Kyle. He Darryl lost Kyle, twenty games. Well, well, that's what I was saying because right. I faced Daryl Kyle in Colorado when I was just starting. It was my second year in the big leagues. 99. Then he goes to St. Louis, and I'm like, and where did this curveball come from? Right. Like, I was like, that curveball right. in Colorado right. in that elevation right. didn't do anything. Right. I, I was, I would hope Daryl Kyle would throw me a curveball because right. I feel like I could hammer it. Right. He gets to St. Louis, yeah. throw me that same curveball. I'm like, damn, this thing's breaking. This yeah. thing's breaking hard, oh, sharp, yeah. 12 he really good pitch. Really? He, he went from losing 20, I think, maybe to winning 20, 20 in St. Louis. In St. Louis, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was just the. And Pedro Sasio had a good year for us out there in Colorado. Yeah, he had good stuff. He was good pitcher. You know, yeah. but it was just tough. We had the general manager, the Mariners, Jerry Depoto pitched on that team. Yeah. Years. But uh, anyways, it just, you know, I, I, I felt terrible because I, I know I disappointed uh, Jerry McMorris and Bob Gebhardt, and I felt bad. I did it. I just didn't do a good enough job. And I just, you know, I just, I, I couldn't manage it. I just yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah. So you go to the, you end up going to the Cardinals and you, you scout, right? For right. a few years, you scout, and right. and um, but then after that, you get back into the game in 2006. Thank God, because I was you know part of that. But can you talk about that? Like, did you think you were done managing, or did you know I you did. had another run left? In no, you? I thought for sure when I left Colorado, I didn't think I'd manage again. I really <laughs> didn't. Yeah, I, and I think maybe it was just a burnout or what it was, but you know, I was just frustrated, and uh, I didn't really didn't. And even after the first couple of years working for the Cardinals, I worked for them from. Uh, 19 or from 2000 until 2005, and even the first two or three years there, I never even thought about it. I'd go down, I'd help Tony in spring training, I'd right. dress out, I'd hit fungos, maybe throw some BP, not much BP, but I'd you know help out and I'd go to all the games and maybe manage a B game for him or something, or meet him in the morning to help organize his program for spring training. But it was after about three years, I just saw. Uh, the Cardinal players, how they bought into Tony's program, the veteran players. And it was really impressive to me. And the way they went about their business and, you know, and, and, and the attitude that they had and the spirit that they had in the clubhouse. And they were good players, don't get me wrong. Edmonds and Roll and all yeah, those pools. guys. Pools. <laughs> yeah, but but it, just, it just kind of pumped me up again. And I didn't think for sure that I would manage. But, uh, you know, when Dave called me uh, after the 2005 season and asked me, if I thought I was ready to manage again, I said, well, I'd like to give it a shot. And it was kind of special because I signed with the Tigers as a kid, yeah. you know, and I was over there managing minor leagues for a lot, long time, never yeah. got up to big leagues as a coach or manager. So they had Sparky and, uh, pretty amazing. so, you know, so <laughs> I, I thought, you know, I, I'd be interested. And then and I went up for an interview and I eventually got the job. So yeah, it worked out pretty good. How did you change? It took the me a long time. How did you change the culture there? I mean, because I think a few years earlier, they lost 114 games or something, way over 100 games. Yeah. Well, How did you change the culture in, in Detroit that quick? It was your first year. Well, I think it started with a letter I wrote them in the winter before we went to spring training. You know, I, I wrote all the players a letter, and I spoke basically about 
you know, you guys are such a talented team, but you're not a winning team, you know, and, and you have so much talent, but you, but you, you haven't shown that you know how to win. And I said, you know, I want you to, I can never, I can remember most of this letter verbatim. I talked about, I want you to take the field like the New York Yankees, not cocky or conceited, but I want you to take it with a little swagger, yeah. like you belong there and you better let the other team know that we're there. And I don't care who's in the division. I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't care anything about that. The only thing I care about is the Detroit Tigers. And you guys don't know how good you are. I pumped them up in the letter, but I also told them, you, you got to learn to win. I knew they had some talent. Yeah. You know, I knew they were Big talented, time. you know, but they just, for whatever reason, they just hadn't learned how to win yet. Yeah. And uh, so I, I wrote that letter to them. I think that's where it started. And then in spring training, uh, you know, we, we 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 all got along good. You know, I brought some coaches in like Gene Lamont and people like that. And, yeah. And, well, and, it, was, it, for, for, it was Pirates. It was Pirates. Gene Lamont, Lloyd McClendon, Raphael Beller, Donnie right. Slott, Dan Slight. For right. me, I was like, oh, my right. God, what about Pirate Fantasy Camp? Yeah. And, <laughs> I, and I always tried to bring in coaches that were had quite a bit of experience either managing the minor leagues or, or, or playing or whatever it may be. And, and guys that were at the right age where they could still do a lot of physical work, like throw BP and stuff, yeah. but they had a lot of knowledge, you know, because sometimes you can get older guys. And I mean this respectfully, a lot older that really can't do anything physically. They know a lot, but they can't do anything physically. You right. get young guys that can work real hard, but they haven't had any experience going through any of this. So right. I tried to get that combination of guys, you know, that had some experience, like Gene and Manage, long time in minors, Rich Dolly, you know. Yeah. And and um, anyways, it, it just, you know, we got off to a really good start. Uh, Chris Shelton, I think, hit nine home runs yeah. in the first. And we got off to a really, really good start, and they started to get some confidence. And we went on, obviously, he came over, and yeah. we went on to uh, win the American League Championship. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I want to go back to my first day there. You, you traded for me at the deadline. I was so excited because I was with the Pirates, and I always want to play for the Pirates. So it was a dream come true for me. Yeah. But we were terrible. Right. And and you really took me out of purgatory. Like, like, hey, when you guys traded for me. And I remember that first day I came uh, in Tampa, and the media is around my uh, locker, and they're all like, hey, you know, it's, how do you like being here? I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to be here. I hadn't seen you yet. I'm so excited to be here. And, you know, and, and then I saw the coaching staff. I'm not, I'm not kidding when I say this either. Gene Lamont, you know, Buckos, Lloyd right. McClendon, Raphael Bell. These are, these are dudes, Donnie Slot, Sluggo. You right. kidding me? Used to back up Spanky. Right. Vance Lake, one of my idols growing up. My aunt, you got to be kidding me. This guy, Jim Leland's my manager. I'm like, this is so great. So you, I don't know if you remember this, but you come over and grab, hey, Kay, I need to talk to Case real quick. And then, I told the media, hey, I got to go hang out and see Skip, you know. And, right. and uh, so it was like such a cool moment for me. You, you drag me through the training room. Next thing you know, I'm in your office. It's you, Gene Lamont, and Lloyd McClendon, right? And I'm like, oh, this is like this is like heaven for like the Pittsburgh kid, you know. And it's still my ninth year in the biggest, but I'm still like a little kid, right? And you're like, all right, Case, great to have you, you know, great to have you. He's like, uh, let's, let's, uh, Gino, give, go, why don't you go through the science for Case? You know, Gino's like, Gene Lamont's like, all right, Case. You know, you get in the box, boom, check me down here. I go through my signs. I go to my ear, it's hot. That means something's on. Boom, I go to my hat, it's a hit and run. Now I can take it off, stay with me. He goes, we're probably not going to give you the bunt, right? Well, okay, all right, Gene, I'm locked in the Gene Lamont. Boom, and then you come in, you're like, all right, Case. He's like, now listen, on this sign, he, <laughs> you, go, you go, I don't want you looking down at third of Gino. I want you to look in the dugout. If you get on first base with a walker or a hit, he goes, don't look over at Gene. I want you to look in, look in at me. He goes, now, now you go, now stay with me. If I come up to that top step and we catch eyes, as soon as we catch eyes, if I jump up and never come back down, you steal. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
That was my first conversation with Jim Leland. I jump up here and I never come back down. So great. But I thought I thought the genius of the whole thing was this. I'm new. I don't know anybody. Like I, I really didn't know anybody. It was it, it was a nervous situation, but I was excited. And here you, you bring me into the office. I've never really had a conversation with you Wait. besides some passing conversations when you were with St. Louis and in Colorado. And and the first thing you do is really break the ice with me. And like it made me feel like bam, I'm I'm, I'm at home. I, I just I appreciate it. I, to this day, I would you know want to say thank you for that conversation. Well, we enjoyed having you. Yeah, you were a big piece for us too. You helped yeah. us a lot that year, and you had a great World Series. And- Unfortunately, not a lot of the other guys did offensively. We kicked a lot of balls around the pitcher, yeah. included some balls. We just we didn't do good enough. They earned no, it. We get we did the conversation. Yeah, <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah. can you talk about your decision to have Verlander on that staff? Because he was a young kid, like right. I, I, did, was that your doing the, out of spring training, or was that Dombrowski who well, who always, made who got Verlander on that staff? It was it was always Dave Dombrowski that had the final say. Right. Dave Dombrowski had the final say to put the team together. He was really good at it, but. In the in the particular case, which he was always good with me about, I you know I had mentioned to him, you know, when I got the job, you're going to let me take pretty much what I want to take. He said, well, within reason, you know, the right. players I wanted to take because you know I knew about Verlander. I mean, I you know didn't know him very well, but I knew about him and his stuff and everything. So, not long after spring training started, uh, I told Dave, I said, well, I want to take him and I want to take him. And it was Verlander and Zamaya. Oh, wow, Zamaya. Right. I mean, 104 legit. Yeah. I said, I want, to take, I want to take those two guys. And I can remember Dave said, well, you know, okay, that's fine, but you don't know what they're going to do, you know. And I said, no, I don't. But I know what those guys are going to do that lost you 120 games the year before that. <laughs> and so I said, and Dave laughed about it, and he said, "You got him, you know." And it was—he made the final call. I mean, right. you know, I—I I, I kind of pushed for it, but Dave was great, and he—he, he, you know, he pretty much let me have what I wanted, but uh, you know, within reason. But right. he would always have the final say. He was a great general manager. What about Kenny Dave Rogers on that staff? Oh, you know, yeah. what about what about Kenny? They—they they told me before we got him. He said, "This guy's tough. Right. This guy's tough to deal with. You're going to be tough." And I said. He can pitch, can he? He, says, oh, he, can, he? he can pitch, but he might be tough, you know. And uh, I said, well, that's okay. Well, I met Kenny in the winter meetings, and we had a discussion, and a professional discussion. Kenny Rogers became one of the closest pitchers I've ever had in my life as far as an individual yeah. to me. I loved Kenny Rogers. I, I've never – I mean, I've had Kevin Brown and Verlander, a lot of great with Drabeck and him. But I've never had anybody that competed any harder than Kenny Rogers. And he was like, a, a, as far was, as he could feel his position, like he was nobody. A, oh, he was a pitcher. I mean, this guy was a total pitcher. And I loved Kenny Rogers. I mean, and we're friends to this day. I mean, I don't see him very much yeah. anymore or anything. But I, I miss him for being around the game. He was a fierce competitor and just wonderful on the team. Great. And uh, I did see him a few years after he got out. He, he'd come to – uh, spring training with the Tigers and, yeah. and helped the left-handers work with their pickoff move. You know, he had a great oh, really? he had a oh, great yeah, pickoff. Great pickoff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, great fielder uh, and just a great guy and uh, just pitched wonderful for us. I, I think he might have won 17 games or something. Wow. He was he was wow. terrific. Was can I follow up on one thing, Case? And I'm very sorry. Go, go ahead, Jim. Uh, so I, I, I would never do this, but I have to ask while you're here and 
Case, for five years, I never played this, played this video. Well, can you just talk about the time where Casey hit the ball the opposite way and got thrown out at first base? Yeah. I'm Seriously? Sorry, I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> I love you. But you brought you mean, up going to the – You mean when I got thrown out from left field and the only person in Major League Baseball history? What, yes. what was your take on that, Skip? Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> actually – I want to be too much. I, I, I actually felt bad for him. And – I, I think I said something wisecrack when he came back. I was laughing. He he was mad, obviously. And I was kind of laughing. I think he actually was mad at me because I was laughing. But you know what? I didn't know. I really didn't know anything else what to do. You had to make light out of it. I've never seen it before in my history of my life. You know? So no, I, myself, I mean, what can I do? Can I get serious and say, hey, Case, you didn't run the ball out? Jesus Christ, the ball's in the left field 250 feet away. I mean, I can't, I, you know, I can't say you're not hustling, you know. <laughs> Some guy with a pop gun in left field threw him out at first. Bro, was Pablo Azuna threw me out with an 80 arm. Okay, 80. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I mean, I felt bad for him, but it was, it's one of those times in your life in baseball that you'll enjoy for the rest of your career because it's always good for a laugh. Right. I was actually, I wasn't embarrassed for him. I just felt bad for him because I knew he was embarrassed. I was embarrassed. embarrassed. He was right. embarrassed, and you could see that. And he, yeah. he came back to the dugout, and I, I really didn't know what to say. I just had my hand over my mouth, and I was laughing, and he let out with some expectatives that weren't too good, I think, right toward me. But uh, I had to take it because I was laughing at him. I'm well, sorry, yeah, Sean. I'm sorry. One, no, one thing I did appreciate that because I was embarrassed because I had prided myself on my game, I wasn't the fastest guy out there, but I was going to play hard every night. Right. If I ground out to the pitcher, I was going to sprint to first base. Right. You know, it's just the way I played. So for that to happen, I thought Creedy caught the ball, blah blah blah. But after the game, and I, I think I thanked you for this. But you know, I know that I know that it, it looked bad. We were losing big to the White Sox. We were, in, you know, in in uh, competition with them in the, in the Central. And uh, after the game, I know a couple of reporters were serious when they said. You know, what do you think about Sean Casey not hustling or something down the line, which I would never, ever do. And I remember you really having my back. You know, I remember you got serious with one of the reporters saying, if you think Sean Casey doesn't hustle, like you don't watch Major League Baseball. So thank you. Thank you for that. And yeah. and I did I did mother F you when I came back in the dugout I'm, because I was like, what an asshole. This guy's laughing. I think first five, seven, three in the history of the game. I got my freaking manager laughing when I come back in the dugout. So skip 2012, you go you go back to the World Series against the Giants, I believe. Right. And um, um, that doesn't go, you know. Obviously, first off, to get to the World Series is so hard. So like, just to say that, you know, hey, you got back to the World Series. Listen, I understand, and anyone that's been in the business understands how hard it is right. to get to the World Series. It's right. so freaking hard. So I just want to throw that out there first. So so you're back in the World Series, which right. is unbelievable. Which shows how right. great of a manager you are. With that stack, you know, you had, you had Scherzer. What was Scherzer on that Verlander, stack? Scherzer, Fister. Verlander, Fister. Sanchez. Yeah, Sanchez. Can you talk about um, that team, but also talk about Max Scherzer? Because, um, you know, I, I, I never got a chance to play against him, but I've watched him, and I'm like, well, wow, that guy's an animal. I, I think that, that that series, when we got back, we felt like, uh, obviously going in, we thought we had a better team. Uh, we didn't prove it. So evidently we didn't, but we felt like we had a better team. I think the thing in that series was, if you remember, Pablo Sandoval hit home runs off Verlander yeah. in the very first game. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I and I take responsibility for this, but I think that 
took their team up here and it let our team down a little bit. And I kind of had a tough time getting them back really, you know, even though it was one game, it was kind of a deflating game for us. You know, I mean, to get Justin, you know, who's one of the most fierce competitors and one of the best pitchers in the history of the game, you know, and uh, just pitched great for us. So I I think that's one of the things. And we didn't hit. We just didn't hit. So that happened. And then you move on to Max Scherzer. And, you know, when I think that uh, there was a stretch there, him and Verlander obviously were so good. And there was a stretch in that year where uh, uh, Fister and Sanchez were doing as good as they were. <laughs> oh I, I'm not sure, but that might have been the year Sanchez led the league and earned yeah, runners. Yeah, I think you're right. <clears throat> okay. And Fister went, pitched unbelievable for us. So we, our pitching staff was loaded. Was loaded. We were really good, you know. And Scherzer, of course, Scherzer and Verlander, they're, they're going to be in Cooperstown shortly. Yeah. Uh, both of them should be, but just, uh, I mean, great stuff, great competitors, uh, you know, just dynamite stuff. And I can remember, uh, in Scherzer's case, I think we, we got him from Arizona and there was a lot of people that felt in the industry, not just Arizona, but in the industry, there was a lot of people felt that because of his delivery that he might be hurt and he might not hold up. And that, it, it, it turned out his delivery is one of the things that made him great. <laughs> right. That flick from out here, you know, kind of, yeah. and it's just all kind of life with velocity and, you know, great change up breaking ball. One of the, one of the great pitchers of all time, just like Verlander, blessed to have him. But I think some people tend to forget how valuable Fister and Sanchez, Sanchez were that year. They were both good, you know. Wow. So, I mean, we were, we, we were, we were good. Yeah. I mean, we were good. We just didn't hit much in that series. That was the same as 06. 2013. You have the big series against the Red Sox. You're up one nothing in Boston. Um, big Poppy comes up in that big situation. Tory Hunter goes over there. You know all, right. all that stuff. Can you take us back to that as a manager in yeah. that situation? You know uh, of matching up against a guy like David Ortiz. Well, that in that situation. Well, I, I, what happened was I, I got Phil Coke up and I had Benoit, <clears throat> who was my best receiver. He was my closer. And uh, I, I what I, I had to make a decision and and. Phil Coke hadn't pitched hardly at all, and for a while. And I just said, you know, we got to get an out here in the eighth inning. I'm going to go with my best. I'm going to go with my closer to get this out. And uh, Joaquin actually threw the pitch he wanted to throw. He just didn't get it in a good situation. His changeup was the best pitch, and he just didn't get it where he wanted to. And Poppy hit it, and and Torrey made a hell of an effort, and uh, you know that really turned the series around. And, uh, but it, in my opinion, it didn't cost us a series. It really turned us around. It right. really turned the series around. Don't get me wrong. It was a killer. And, uh, you know, some people think that totally cost the series. And maybe it did. But in my opinion, the, the game three is the game that cost us a series. We went home because in actuality, even though we lost that heartbreak game, and it probably did cost us a series, but even though we lost that game, we said before we went to Boston, let's get a split. Well, we've got the split. Yep. Now we come home, and I think Lackey pitched against us and shut us out, and Verlander got beat one to nothing. Napoli mm. hit a home run. That's right. They beat us one to nothing. And I thought on top of game two being such a gut wrencher and everything, That's game three game. was the one that probably almost put the finishing touches on us. Wow. Mm. So after that after that year, you decide to retire. Right. And, but, like, I guess as a fan of you and looking at where you're at, you'd just gone to the World Series in 12. You're just losing. You lose in six games to the Red Sox in right. the ALCS. Just missed going back to the World Series. Why was it time for you to walk away from the game? Well, I, I actually, 
I knew in June I was going to retire. Oh, I, did you? I, yeah, I talked to Gene Lamont one day. We were on the road in Kansas City. We were actually sitting out at the pool having lunch. And uh, I said, Gene, I said, you know, uh, this is going to be it for me. Um, you know, the travel's getting to me. I'm getting older. I'm getting tired. And uh, I just, and I said, uh, you know, I got to I gotta handle this right with Dave. And he said, well, I think about it. And, and when you make, when, when you make the decision for sure, then you need to tell Dave one way, you know, one way or the other. I mean, uh, or at least tell him if you're not coming back. So, uh, wasn't, I, it might have even been that trip. I said, well, I, I'm sure, Gene, I'm, I'm, this is going to happen. So I called Dave up and I said, hey, can I talk with you? And I said, Dave, I don't know what you're thinking about who's your manager going to be next year. He said, well, you're the manager next year. And I said, well, no, I'm going to retire. Wow. You know, step down. And uh, we had a great conversation, and uh, I knew it was time. And to this day, I know it was the right decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I miss the players. I miss the competition, but I don't miss all the travel and everything. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I'm 76 years old. It was definitely the right decision. And uh, I, I feel very comfortable with it. So um, that's how all that basically came about. So this is, this is such a great part of your career that I think this is like icing on the cake. The WBC, a few years later, you end up um, managing that squad, and it's the first time the U.S. had ever won the WBC. Now, there, I, if people ever pay attention to the WBC, there's some great players. When you talk about Venezuela and Dominican and Puerto Rico and Japan and Korea, you know, and then the U.S., it's, it's the all-stars of the all-stars. First off, how did you get involved with the WBC? And also – can you just take us through that? Because I know that meant a lot to you to win that to win that it WBC. Is. And I and I can't be phony about it. I got to be honest with you. I was never a big fan of the WBC mm. because I was losing my players in spring training. They weren't amped up yet, ready to play or anything. And I was scared to death we were going to lose, you know, some of our most valuable players. Right. When that's the, so I was re- really not a big fan of it to be mm. honest with you. I don't want to lie about it. So uh, Joe Torre called me and he said that, uh, well, we'd like you to. Uh, manage the World Baseball Classic, and Rob Manford talked to me, yeah. and uh, I said, "Okay, I mean, you know, you you're never going to turn down the opportunity to manage for your country, right? Right, right. right. So uh, I wasn't that keen on it, to be honest with you, at the time because I was nervous about it. Right. It, it's one of the the best worst experiences I've ever had <laughs> in, in a sense that. We put together Joe Torrey got most of the players to his credit. He was like the general manager. So would, would Joe have to go into the clubhouse? Like, did you get the players before spring training, or do you go in the clubhouse? For the most part, training? no, you did. But but we you had to wait with the, our players' association. You had to wait to get the, the the opportunity to talk to the players. And there was a time frame when you could talk to them, when you had to stay. You should stay away from them. But Joe kind of did all that, and I helped out, I guess, with a couple guys. But uh, that, that was a big chore to get that done, you know, because in any ways, the reason I say it was the best worst is because it was some of the greatest guys. We, Joe Torrey got the right guys. Yeah. He, he definitely got the right guys for us. And when we went there in three days, uh, we had a couple of little exhibition games and workouts down at Fort Myers. And I knew us, well, we, we really got a good bunch here. You know, I don't know what's going to happen here because right. they're, they're not amped up yet, ready to play, you know, games and all that. Played a couple exhibition games. We went. We lost a game to the Dominican, and then uh, uh, we won a couple games to start with, and we lost a game to the Dominican. But anyways, uh, we were really good, and it was turned out to be a, a tremendous experience. But 
there was stuff like if you told people they'd they'd say they can't believe that goes on, but it does. And it's nobody I understand it. But there would be pitching coaches from other teams or possibly general managers say, Hey, you know, my guy can only pitch fifteen pitches tonight. Or, you know, well and they wow. had a limit on the pitches and everything, but you were paranoid. You didn't want to get somebody's player hurt. Right. You know, so we kept our limit. I was so proud of this. We never had a pitcher throw as many pitches as he was supposed to throw. He was wow. always under that. Wow. So we, we always kept him under that, which I was very proud of because there's a lot of pressure when you're dealing with somebody else's players. Yeah. And, you know, if you'd happen to get somebody hurt or something, you'd never forgive yourself. So from that point, it was kind of a, it was a real nervous job, yeah. to be honest with you. But it was so rewarding. And uh, I can remember uh, Marcel Latchman telling me, who had been involved in mm. it a couple of times, he said, you're not going to believe this, but he said, you're not going to believe the intensity of these games, what happens. He said, I know World Series, and he said, you know, but it, he said, it's like that. Wow. The, the intensity is that that high when you're playing in these games. And I found that to be true. You know? Wow. And, uh, you know, we were fortunate. Uh, you know, we, we beat everybody. We got to the semifinals. We beat Japan 2-1. to one. Right. Um, thank God Otani didn't pitch against us, <laughs> I guess. But anyways, <laughs> he didn't play. Um, Was Otani on that team? No. Okay. And uh, so uh, we beat them two to one in the semifinal game. And then, of course, uh, we played Puerto Rico in the finals and we had kind of a big offensive showing and we, we won eight or whatever it was to one or whatever it was, right. but eight to nothing, eight to one. But uh, just a, a tremendous, tremendous experience. But not all, not all giggles and smiles. It was right. a lot of pressure as, as far as uh, watching somebody's pitchers pitch and Praying every night that he didn't come up with a lame arm or something, you know. Really, I mean, to kind of explain to their team's pitching coach, hey, we're not going to use this guy even the amount of pitches, you know. Yeah. We'll, 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 you know, I think one guy said, well, you can throw him thirteen pitches. I, I mean, I thought that was crazy. <laughs> but, what is that? Yeah, I couldn't figure yeah. that out either. But that's, it was just, that's like a really clean inning if you're throwing thirteen yeah, pitches. I mean, so yeah. I, it was just, I mean, but there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes in that that you'd be surprised. It's good stuff, right? And everybody's looking out for their own player, and I don't blame them, right? But it's. It's not all that easy to and do. And are you getting phone stuff. calls from GMs? Hey, man, I, I didn't get any, but some of our people did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, were the players into it? Like, oh, man. They, so, like, the, I remember Adam Jones making that catch in San Diego. I still – that's the one moment, like, I can go back and – yeah. I don't know. I think Manny Machado hit it, too, was he his did. teammate in Baltimore. Right. It I mean, was, what was that like when I he mean, pulled that back? Well, <laughs> well that, that turned it around for us yeah. when, we, when we beat them in that game because you had to get by Dominican. Dominican – they were all really good teams. Yeah. Venezuela, Dominican, Puerto Rico, loaded. you know, all loaded. And you just saw some of those lineups. You just said, oh, my God, yeah. how are you going to get through this? But we were pretty good, too. Yeah, yeah. You know, so uh, just the right bunch of guys, the perfect temperature. I mean, they, 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 they set the tone themselves. Our clubhouse was great. Everybody got along. We, you know, we tried to play everybody as much as I could. Some guys got a little short change. But, uh, you know, it was just, you know, to win that thing was just a – you know, kind of a special treat to the end of my career. Yeah. And, and it was it was a big thing because I remember the commissioner telling me, he said, when we got to L.A. for the finals, he said, ah, you've done a great job. You got to the finals. That's good. That's that's good. You did. And I said, hey, we're going to win this thing. Wow. And he looked at me. I said, oh, we're, we're here to win. I didn't come here to no, get second place. And the commissioner was great about it. He loved it. It was a it was a, it was a big thing for him. I think yeah. he really appreciated it. Yeah. And certainly Joe Torrey did, who did a good job of getting all that assembling all those players together. So what a great wow. that's so great that you got to experience that. 
The last thing I want to talk about is um, I want to go back to Miguel Cabrera because I, I, he had hit that he hit the 500th home run the other day and uh, a few weeks ago, and you know he hit it to right center. And I remember I, we interviewed him at MLB Network, and he was like, you know what? I said that impressed me the most because so much of your power was to right center, and to hit your 500 home run there was, was at his age was such a big thing. And he and he always said to me he, in the interview, he said, I always tried to think like a small guy, but I was a big guy. And and I remember one time at the All Star game, asking what your what his approach was. He says, I try to go to right center and 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 react in. You just talk about managing him for all the years that you did, and just the kind of player that he was. And you you managed him. When he was the greatest player in baseball, well, he, I think he's right. I, I always, when I talk about Miguel Cabrera, I talk about this all the time, and I use it as an example today. When you're talking to hitters or watching hitters or anything, I said Miguel Cabrera, he swung like a little guy and hit like a big guy. There's so many guys in the game today that swing like a big guy and hit like a little guy. Right. There's a big difference. They're laboring. They're trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Miguel Cabrera was so fluid. He had good. He was a big man. He was thick man, but he had such good elasticity. And without question, the best opposite field power I ever saw. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, and like I said, I don't, I don't look for arguments. I don't compare players and right. errors or anything right, right. like that. I, I don't get into all that. But he's got the best opposite field power I ever saw. And that year he had, I mean, he played a lot of years for me. And some of those years he was hurt. One year he had a broken foot. I mean, I think the, I, I, I wrote it in my speech that I'm going to give Friday night. The greatest single-season performance I ever saw was Miguel Cabrera in 2012 when he won the Triple Crown. Yeah. He gets no leg hits. Right. You know, I think he hit 44 home runs or something. I mean, uh, all these – In in Comerica, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and I I just have never seen a, you know, individual performance like that in all my life. So, um, you know, and and I'm going to say this – I'm going to say this Friday night. I hope – they don't see this before I give my speech <laughs> because I, I started out in my speech saying how happy I was to be there. But I started out by saying Miguel Cabrera, and I think this is the best thing you say about him. He played hard. He played hurt. He played humble. But most importantly, he played happy. Wow. Huh. his career. Wow. He enjoyed, he enjoyed being out there. Am I done? Uh, no, no, you're not done. One more, one, one, one more thing. One more thing. Well, wait, hold on. Right? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Cooper Stout. To me, you're one of the best managers ever playing the game. And to, to, to a man that's anyone that everyone knows the, the history of Major League Baseball, you know, we know you're one of the best managers ever played. You have the you have the track record of the World Series, of the pennants, of going back to the World Series. Um, what would that mean for you to get into Cooperstown one day? Well, I think, you know, it's up to other people. I'm not going to campaign. You really got to have kind of people kind of pushing you for that. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I do. So that's okay. I don't really, it's, it's not, I'm very content with my career. That would obviously be the ultimate, uh, you know, I'll go on record as saying, I don't know if I should be in. Yeah, you should. But I will say this. And maybe people are going to take this wrong. I'm not sure if I should be in or not, but I think I should be considered. Yes. And, you know, if I'm considered and I don't get in, fine. Right. Uh, if I'm not even considered, I would be disappointed. And like I said, I'm not really sure because I got a lot of losses. I understand that. But they, they'd have to look into all your – you start out with a team that lost 100 games a year before, your track record is bad right <laughs> to start. It right. takes a long, but I'm not going to get into politicking right. for myself. 
I'm just saying I don't know if I am, but I think I should at least be considered. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll politic and say you should be in Cooperstown. Yeah. You will be in Cooperstown one day. And I just hope to golf with you again here soon, Skip, so that maybe play. my game will be a little bit better. And you, That'd be great. You don't have to crush me about being a career 300 <laughs> yeah, hitting be, balls behind me. That'd be great. And I appreciate your time today, man. No problem. Thank you so much. Great. Literally. It's great being with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Chinch. Thanks very much. Thanks, Thanks brother. Buddy. See you soon, buddy. Yeah. yeah.